Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful you're here, and so is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're actually in our church today or you're listening to us online from somewhere, anywhere in the whole world, God is pleased with your listening and taking time out of your busy, busy life, because we all have a busy life. Everybody's got things to do, and to come and take a listen to what I have to say uh, about God, and, and God has to say through me, I should say, as well, too. We always uh, start our service with a a word of prayer. So if you guys want to join me, I'm going to pray real quick and ask God to help us understand what he has to say to us because we know that the Bible says only by the Holy Spirit of God can we understand the things of God. Lord, thank you so much for your message today, Lord, that you've given me. Thank you so much, Lord God, for just your word, Lord, that we have your word. Lord God, you could have just left us down here, Lord, to just wander around aimlessly, Lord, our whole lives and then die and and burn in hell because there would be no salvation then if there was no your word to tell us how that salvation came. But Lord, you're not like that, Lord. You're a good God. Lord, you are a good God, the only God, number one, but and and the best and only God, Lord God. We just love you. We praise you. And uh, Lord, we just pray now, Lord, we wouldn't just do nothing with your word, as as my famous quote that you gave me years ago, wisdom not applied is foolishness, Lord God. I pray that what we have of your word, we wouldn't just let it sit on our shelf or that we wouldn't just put it on our dashboard when we're driving around in our car, Lord. I pray that we would have your word in us, Lord, that we would eat your word and drink your word and, and get your word in us, Lord God. And then after it's in us, Lord, I pray that we would apply it so that it wouldn't just be foolish wisdom, Lord. It would be awesome wisdom that we can apply to our lives that would make a difference in our lives. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we ask you all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is your first time coming today. I'm Pastor Ed. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches in these last days. Anyhow, you guys want to turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. That's where we're going to be today, but I won't read them or teach them until I give my thoughts from last week's message. If today is about Jesus, why do we say or why do we call it Easter? Last week, I mainly talked about and answered the big question in the title, if today is about Jesus, speaking about the day of Jesus Christ's resurrection that we celebrate every year, day people call it Easter, why do we say Easter, right? Again, that name Easter has no reference to death, has no reference to resurrection, has no reference to Jesus Christ at all, Uh, nor does it have anything to do with the traditions, right? I mean, the traditions have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, have nothing to do with resurrection, have nothing to do with death, the egg and the bunny. And so if today, if that day is called Easter, If that day is about Jesus, why do we say Easter? Again, that name Easter has no reference to nothing. Uh, Sadly, because why? Because the church has brought in a pagan worship of a false person that people claim to be a god, which she wasn't even a god, literally named Easter from the Tower of Babel days into the worship of the great God of all heaven and earth, and his son, Jesus Christ. And that's sad, and that's sick, and that's sinful. Because we know that, you know, Deuteronomy 12 said, God said, don't do that. Don't worship me in the ways that the people of the lands worship their pagan and false gods. Worship me in these ways. So God is not pleased with his children saying Easter, or watching Easter videos, or doing Easter things, or having Easter egg hunts. Because those don't honor 
the Lord God of heaven and earth, those honor a false god. Those honor a pagan, false woman that people claimed to be a god. So we need to stop using the name Easter. We need to stop practicing the traditions that come with it on the day that's supposed to be about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Okay, God and Jesus Christ, they need all the glory, all the praise, all the worship, and all the honor. And we should be giving those, if we're his kids, we should be giving all of those things to him. We shouldn't want to give him False worship, right? We don't want to be like the children of Israel did, some of them did, where they offered false fire before the Lord in the, in the wilderness. We, we should want to give God the worship that he deserved. And that was just the just, I should say, of last week's message, along with another quick exhortation from, from my heart, you know, if you are practicing any Easter traditions or calling it that name. Because if you are, God wants you to repent, especially if you know about it. I mean, it's one thing for somebody that doesn't know. We had a kind of a long discussion after church last week about that. You know, well, what about the people that don't know? You know, is it sin to them? And well, you know, yes, but they're not accountable for it. Yes, but it's still sin and people are still going to face the false effects and the bad effects for it because doing those things still makes God unhappy and it grieves God's heart. And it is sin after all. Because it goes against God's commands in Deuteronomy 12. So my exhortation to all you out there that are listening that say the word Easter or do anything involved with Easter at all, the traditions is God wants you to repent. And God wants you to stop today. Period. The end. That's that. Now today before I read or teach our new section of scripture, I do want to catch us up. Right? Last week we had a, a special service because it was the resurrection you know, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, but normally we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Well, of course, last week we had to deviate a little bit to honor the great king of heaven and earth. So I want to catch us up to speed and a recap of our section that we studied two weeks ago. Two weeks ago we read of how Satan made his way in into the church in Jerusalem through the evil, prideful desire of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they wanted to be known and seen by all all their other fellow Christians and the apostles included for their generous gift of giving all the proceeds of selling their land, yet they only gave some of the money they sold their land for. Remember the lying sin. That was the name of that sermon, right? Acts 5, 1 through 12. They followed Satan's leading on that. That was a bad move. And because they did, God smote them. Because they lied to God and to man, God ended up killing them, right? That was the end result. Uh, they were having church in the temple, and everybody had witnessed it. And the end result, verse 11, great fear after Ananias and Sapphira died. Great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. God's desired reaction, of course, is fear. And he doesn't want us to fear us like lightning bolt from the sky fear, but he wants us to have a reverent and holy fear of him like oh boy i need to live the way god wants me to live or there might or there will be consequences that's the fear that god speaks about in his word that's the good fear of the holy fear of the lord jesus christ so now let's get on to our new sermon shall we our title today uh specifically for some people god's been showing me i hope they tune in and and if this is for you i i want you to Welcome you if you've never been before, but you don't know why you're tuning in today. Uh, Christians, beware. Do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Title of our sermon. Christians, beware. Do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. We're going to read Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. 
and then I'll teach them. So if you want to get out your Bibles, if you're not already there, I'll start reading in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. The Bible says this, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest joined them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes both men and women, so that they both brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the council of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officials came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Interesting section of scripture. We have a lot to say today in these verses. A lot of people see and hear, as we just heard, Ananias and Sapphira dying and become fearful of God because of it, which is a good thing, and get a healthy fear of God. And so what else is God doing during this time? Look at verse 12 again. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Well, when, when we read they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, we know right there that that's where they were having church. And so I keep saying that they were having church in the temple. There's our proof. During this time, God is working mighty, amazing, and supernatural miracles through the apostles' hands. I would have loved to have been around during this time. Amen? I mean, just to see God doing these awesome works and doing these mighty works. I'm hoping in faith, actually, that God's going to bring another time back to this world just like this. I know we're right now, the Bible says, we're in the great apostasy. I believe that we're in the great time of apostasy. But I, the Bible doesn't say we don't come back before he comes back. So I'm hoping that after the great apostasy, there's a great return, and then the Lord comes. But we'll see. God, God be the judge. Now, before we find out what kind of amazing miracles God Almighty was doing through the apostles' hands, look at what Luke writes next. Something a little confusing and seemingly out of place, verse 13. Yet, none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, on the surface, per the context that we read of before this verse, verses 1 through 11 mainly, it seems like we could translate this verse to mean that because... God did what he did to Ananias and Sapphira, and everybody kind of saw that, those who heard and saw what happened, that those that were unbelievers dared not join the church or God Almighty, nor come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that would make sense. Just think of it. You're, a, you're not a believer, right? You're, you're, a, you're a heathen, or you're, a, you know, you're not a Christian, and, and all of a sudden you literally see Two church members drop dead, and Peter say, you know, well, that's because God killed them uh, over the issue of money. Uh, that's not going to make me want to join the church. 
right? That's not going to make me want to jump up and go, all right, woo, where do I, where do I sign up, right? Um, if that were me, I'd be like, well, there's no way I'm going to get involved with this crazy Christian group. God's killing their members. What are they even up to, right? I mean, like, holy camoly, right? I'd be like, I'm walking away. I'm going home. Uh, I'm saying, hey, I'm going to be who I am. Hey, I'll, you know, if God's real, he'll show me another way. But that, that, that can't be the way, right? I don't want to end up like those two. This, by the way, is not a real good way to have a church growth program, right? God makes two members of the church drop dead, right? I, I could see that. Um, <laughs> and all of that would make perfect sense according to what we read before this, verses 1 through 11, and what Luke writes here in verse 13. Yet, none of the rest joined them, but the people esteemed them highly. But is that really what Luke was saying? Is it really? I mean, well, why do I say that? Well, because when we read on in this text, the very next verse, we read what seems like another totally out of place verse and another one that it doesn't seem to make sense. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. What? Are you kidding me? Verse 13 says, none of the rest dare join them. So there we got nobody joining the church, right? And verse 14 says, yet multitudes were coming to the church and and they were increasing daily. What Luke writes in these two back-to-back verses is so confusing and really doesn't make any sense. Yet one verse, nobody. The next verse, multitudes. Well, what changed? Nothing changed. There's, There's no new information. We have nobody's coming and getting saved and then multitudes are getting saved with no, well, God then did this and then this happened. Nothing, there's nothing in between, right? And that idea is just confusing. So what exactly was Luke saying in verses 13 and 14 when he says none of the rest dare join him, yet the multitudes were coming to Christ, you know, daily? Well, with all that buildup, I'm sorry to say, you know, I I built that up and, well, maybe, oh, maybe he's got the answer. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he does. But but all that buildup, I'm sorry to say, the Bible doesn't say. And Luke, well, he doesn't ever really explain it, which means that all we can really do with this section of Scripture, with these two verses that seem to be kind of confusing, is speculate. And we can guess, well, what did he mean, right? If you're born again, here's what I encourage you to do. Uh, And you continue on that path until you die. The moment you're before God Almighty, and if you actually can speak a word, right, and, and you're not just in awe like you're just standing there in amazement, right, you can ask him. Or maybe after you've been in amazement after seeing his face, and that wears off after a few thousand years maybe, you can go and find Luke, and you can say, hey, Luke, what did you mean by Nobody was coming, and then multitudes were coming. I, you know, can you explain that to me? Now, I won't leave you hanging. I'm going to give you my best guess as to what this verses 13 and 14 mean by what I understand or but what I'm guessing, but understand it's just my guess. It's not the Word of God. These kind of sections can be dangerous, so we need to be careful that when we read them, we don't hardline an interpretation from them, really, because sometimes nobody knows what God writes, but what God knows, and you know, He is God Almighty after all, we're not going to understand everything about Him. So what did Luke mean by saying, verse 13, none of the rest dare join them, but the people esteemed them highly, yet in verse 14, saying the multitudes were coming to Christ increasingly daily without Scripture getting in any variables as to why that happened? 
Again, just my guess, my theory. This is what I think. I think verse 13, as I just said, Luke is writing about those who directly saw and heard what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And in verse 14, he is writing about a different group of people that were not witnesses to what happened to Ananias and Sapphira and were only seeing and getting the benefits of the amazing miracles after what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And the main reason I think that is because of what Luke writes in verse 15. He says, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. It seems to me that maybe verse 13 applies to the context of what comes before it, chiefly verses 1 through 11, while verse 14 applies to the next two verses, verses 15 and 16, with all the amazing miracles that were happening through the apostles' hands. Anyway, as I said earlier, the Bible doesn't exactly give us the meaning of what Luke was saying in verses 13 and 14 in these two confusing verses, but that is my best guess. And again, that's all we can do is guess and have fun with it again and not make a doctrine out of it. Well, this is what it means, and we shouldn't come to disputes over it or argue about it because really the Bible doesn't say. But one thing we know for sure moving forward is in this section, for sure multitudes of people were coming to Christ as a result of the mighty and amazing miracles that were being done through the apostles, verses 12 and 14. Luke doesn't tell us all of the miracles that were being done, but uh, these miracles were so awesome, amazing, and wild, that verse for 15, so that the people that were seeing these miracles brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, at least that the shadow of Peter might just fall on them, right? And then why? Because they were knowing that that was going to bring some type of healing. Uh, God was moving so powerfully through the apostles that even when the shadow of Peter fell on people, think of it, they were getting healed. I mean, we never read about that anywhere else in the Bible. Think of it. Peter didn't even have to say anything to the illness or to the sicknesses like Jesus did in Luke 4.39 to Peter's mother-in-law where he rebuked the fever that was in her. Peter didn't even have to say anything. Just walking by the shadow. Oh, I'm healed. I'm healed. Ironically, in Scripture, we don't even read of once of Jesus doing this kind of miracle. That's pretty powerful because Peter did something that Jesus didn't even do, fulfilling what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Think of it, right? Jesus never walked by anybody and his shadow never fell on anybody and they got healed that we read of in Scripture. So Peter did something that even Jesus didn't do. That's awesome. Could Jesus Christ have done a miracle like this? Of course he could have. He could have done everything, but a little something funny that the Lord gave me to think about. If he had done all these miracles and all the miraculous works in every way possible, He wouldn't have even been able to say, hey, he who believes in me will do greater works than me because he would have done them all, right? I just thought that was kind of a little funny interjection there. But that's not all the types of miracles or works the apostles were doing. Look at verse 16. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Notice that phrase at the end there. And they were all healed, right? All God was giving the apostles a 100% success rate with zero failure rate. That's powerful. Anybody that they saw, anybody that they casted a demon, anybody that they came for a healing, they were all healed. It was almost like Jesus was living back on the earth, really, because everybody that came to him got a healing. 
everybody. There wasn't one. There wasn't one person that came away fit. You know, oh man, I, God, I really thought he could do that, but he didn't. That's that wasn't possible. And, and right here, it was like Jesus was living back through the disciples hundred percent. Because I prayed for a lot of people to be healed. I've commanded a lot of things to come out of people, and it hasn't worked every time. But these guys here, they had 100% at this time, 0% failure rate. Uh, also notice in this verse, with the miracles uh, done through them, came the, mir- came the multitudes coming to them for the benefits of the healing, just as Jesus Christ saw in his ministry. Uh, remember, Mark 1, when he healed a man and told him not to tell anyone, right, because of the multitudes were so many, Yet Mark writes in verse 45, Jesus could no longer openly enter the city because he went ahead and he did it. And because of the multitudes, but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. And that was because so many people saw what Jesus did and they all wanted a piece of what he did. So it wasn't just a few people. It was everybody from the cities that was needing help and needing healing. They flocked to Jesus, right? Human nature. Jesus was so popular in his ministry. Mark 3, 9, remember, he was teaching and he said, hey, I got to get in the boat because these people are going to crush me if I don't get in a boat because everybody was coming to the people. And, and when Jesus Christ and the apostles did miracles to feed and heal and cast out demons, the, plop, the people flocked for the benefits. They just flocked. They just like, he's doing healing. Yeah, come on, let's go. Think about it. If he was in our neighborhood now, if there was a, you know, Jesus came now and he started healing everybody, wouldn't you run if you had a sickness or an illness? I got this thing. Oh my gosh, I got, boy, I'd drag my mother down there in a heartbeat. Jesus, here you go, please. Right? I mean, and everybody that has an illness around, they would come. It's our human nature. And well, the disciples saw that same thing here as everybody came just like in Jesus' ministry. Now, sadly, I wish that I could stop with all the talk about all these amazing miracles being done. I wish I could just end right there. Because doesn't hearing about all these miracles and thinking about all these miracles and what would happen to Jesus, doesn't it just bring a warm, fuzzy feeling inside of you? Oh, man, Lord, that just sounds so good. But unfortunately, I cannot just preach the feel-good stuff. Why? Because the Bible is not just a feel-good book, and I must preach whatever the Bible says. I can't just make up my own thing. There's enough people doing that out there already. I just teach what the Bible says. The Bible's filled with lots of feel-good news, sure, but that's not all it's filled with. It's also filled with true reality, and there's not much that feels good about the true reality a lot of times. Am I right? Our true realities are hard, and the things that we deal with are hard, and the Bible touches on those issues. True reality, and much biblical true reality, and many times is harsh and cruel. And that's what, our, that's, what, that's what reality is. So what harsh reality do I, unfortunately, need to preach on now? Well, just as we see God doing amazing, many, many, many amazing works and miracles here through the apostles, so do we see that unholy, evil devil raise up his ugly head and work in terrible ways to destroy God's work and God's soldiers. Look at verses 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. What a powerful word for hate. It's not just hate. They were filled with indignation. That's almost like fiery hate, right? Uh, and, and 18, and they laid their hands on the apostles, and they put them in the common prison. 
the religious leaders were so angry. I just see their just their heads just boiling, right? Just blowing off their shoulders, right? They're so angry. Luke says they were filled with indignation. Wow. What a strong word for anger. Now, I'm going to spend some time in this verse, and, and I will start by talking about how sad it is, right, that they were so angry. It really, to me, when I was reading this section of Scripture, and I've read it before, it's just so sad that they got so angry at these Christians because why of all the amazing miracles and works that they were doing, right? How could the religious leaders have thought they were doing these amazing miracles? Did they actually really convince themselves that these guys were doing these miracles by the devil? Nobody in the history of the world, except for when God's prophets walked the face of the planet, did anybody do these kind of miracles. No, the devil never did these kind of miracles in the Old Testament. Never. Only when, the, as I said, the great prophets of God, or Jesus Christ, and, and, they, and many people believed Jesus Christ was of God. They just didn't believe he was the Messiah. But a lot of people believed he was of God. And remember that was one time in John when they were like, well, how does he do these miracles? No, nobody's ever done these kind of miracles before. He's, he must be from God, right? That you know, Nobody else can do these kind of things, right? So I just think it's so sad that they were so angry with these Christians for doing these great miracles because, again, Satan never did any kind of these miracles. Uh, I mean, it's, it almost makes me cry to think that they were filled with this indignation because of the miracles God was doing through these apostles. Uh, how sad for them. Think about it. They should have been happy. They should have been ecstatic that God was moving through these Christians in such a mighty way. I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, they, it, it, not like today where we see these guys on TV and they're preaching, they're they're doing these healings, and you know, you know that that who who knows if that's really real. They actually could go and they could see Peter walking by and his shadow falling on somebody. I'm, I'm, I, I was I was lame and now I can walk. They could see these things. It wasn't some far-off TV magic type of thing. I mean, these things were really... And then everybody that came got healed. I notice on TV, it doesn't show you that everybody gets healed. They only show you a few here and there, you know. It doesn't show all the people. And then you hear the reports later, well, I went up and actually he couldn't. And not in this case. They were healing everybody, right? How sad for them. They should have been happy again that God was moving this way. And we could say the same thing, uh, you know, they were angry with Jesus the same way, right? They were angry with the disciples for doing this, and they were angry with, for Jesus, for, you know, at Jesus for doing the same way. But at least, in his case, this is what God's showing me, at least there they really had no choice. In a sense, God made them angry with Jesus, right? Because had they not been angry with Jesus and had they not killed him because of what, they, what he was doing, then we would have no death and atonement for humanity. But... In the case of the apostles, what makes me so sad is Jesus Christ had died. Now, he, he was gone, right? He was resurrected, right? Now it was time for repentance. Now it was time for redemption to come to the people. And that's why God was doing all these miracles through the apostles, because God wanted to save people. Second Peter 3, 9, God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. But, but sadly, it just goes to show who the religious leaders were really being led by. Who were they really being led by? Well, it just goes to show you that they were led by the devil, of course. And the harsh reality that I spoke of earlier, Satan had a very big MO, or mode of operation, in case you didn't know what that little acronym meant. He had a very big MO in the ministry of Christ, and one that he continued on with the disciples, 
with the apostles, all the Christians in Acts, and the whole New Testament, and, and still to this day, with all God's kids in there working for him. What is that MO? What is Satan's MO? In case you didn't know, whenever, this is what the Bible shows us, this is what I've seen in my life, this is what we see in the world, whenever God moved or moves in supernatural, unrestrained ways, just, just, God just pours out the healings and just pours out the miracles. The devil always has to counter. He's always countered and he's countering today in terrible, awful, horrible, and evil ways towards those God is using to do those miracles, right? Just like in Acts 5, God is working in amazing and powerful ways for the apostles. Satan stirs up the hearts of those who are under his influence, the religious leaders, and they attack God's messengers of righteousness and truth. Had they not been doing those things, they wouldn't have been attacked, right? That's just the way it works, which makes this now in Acts 5 the second time we've seen this just a short time and amount after. Acts chapter 3 and 4, remember, God heals a lame man through Peter and John, right? Thousands come to Christ. I think at that time it was 5,000, if I'm not mistaken, like the day of Pentecost, right? And then there comes that devil. Religious leaders led by the evil devil, arrest apostles, try them as criminals, all because why? God was using them in a mighty way to do mighty things in their world for him. And again, this is what we saw in Jesus' ministry, as he did all kinds of mighty and amazing things, and then the devil would raise up his evil and ugly head at at Jesus. Remember just even the beginning, right? Remember Jesus gets baptized. And I'm sure all hell felt that. I'm sure. Well, I mean, just think about it. The Messiah gets baptized, right? He goes into the wilderness. What happens? He gets tempted by Satan 40 days and 40 nights. Satan knew he's doing a great work. God's doing a great work. I got to go. I got to pin my ears back and I got to go at him. Here I go. Jesus heals multitudes. Remember, all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is healing multitudes, feeding multitudes. What happened often? The religious leaders came Hey, Jesus, if, if so-and-so, if so-and-so, and so-and-so, then so-and-so. Well, they were trying to trip him up with a question. Trying to trip him up, not, not just alone, of course. They went after him in the multitudes of all the peoples, hoping that they, their test would work and that people's faith would be diminished in him because they would get him to slip up and say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I can do all these things, right? The devil comes attacking. And it went on and on and on and on. The devil worked until what? He was able to put an earthly end to Christ as he worked in Judas and the religious leaders' hearts, and they removed what? To put him to death. But had Jesus come and done nothing, the devil would have left him alone. Because if he would have done nothing, then he wouldn't accomplish something great for God. The devil didn't care. No different in my life. In our modern times, since the early 2000s, when God saved me and changed me, God really started using me in a mighty way, and, and, and especially once he brought me and my family to Texas. When I first came to Texas, I, I mean, God had my ears pinned back. I was all about evangelism. God got me in a good church. I was in evangelism, and bam, and things were happening, and people were being touched, and Satan was working hard on me. Just in my mind and in my life and at my job, he was working hard, Working hard, working hard. But then, into the evangelism, he added intercessory prayer to a new level like I'd never had it before ever in my life. Satan came on against me even stronger then than he'd ever had before. And, and I'll never forget this one time that he was causing me to have these 
illicit, terrible, horrible, perverted, absolute disgusting thoughts just flying through my mind. I mean, it's on a regular basis, daily. Just absolutely terrible, terrible, terrible thoughts. And I was crying out to God, God, please help me. God, deliver me from these things. I, I, I don't want to have these things anymore. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm crying out to God, but I, I'm still praying. And, and I'll never forget, Satan showed his ugly head one day. I was at one of my jobs. And I was walking along, and I was in this certain area. And then this, this, this little whisper came in my ear. I'll never forget it. If you leave my people alone, I'll leave you alone. Well, I didn't, and neither did he leave me alone, as he promised, right? He said, if I leave him alone, of course, he's a liar, and he probably wouldn't let me alone anyway, but I kept on, and so he kept on, too. Today, now, as I speak the truth of the biblical gospel, right? There's a worldly gospel, and there's a biblical gospel. We need to remember that. There's a worldly gospel, and there's a biblical gospel. Only one saves. And, and as I reject and refute the American and worldly gospels that have been created by those who have lost their way in Christ or have never been saved, along with refuting Calvinism and once saved, always saved, and Arminianism, along, as, along with all the false doctrines that plague our world today and go against the pure doc and go that go against, I should say, the pure doctrines of God's word, the devil's hitting harder than ever before. My family, my work, my personal life. My, my faith, everything, 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 and everything, and everything. God moves in my life in amazing ways and speaks much needed biblical truth from my mouth, which is what the world needs, and praise God for it. But unfortunately, because of that, the evil one hits me hard daily, and at all times, there's really never a respite. He never lets up. It's an ongoing thing. And if you have ears to hear this, this will... It's kind of not funny, but it's kind of funny. My worst day these attacks come, sometimes Sunday afternoons. But my, usually my worst day that all these things happen to me is Mondays. I wonder why. Hmm. From the morning I get up to the moment I go to bed, Monday is the worst day of the week for me. Can you guess why? I wonder why, right? I mean, you don't have to wonder, right? I speak the truth of Christ and the Bible from this pulpit almost every single Sunday of the year. But praise God. I manage it. Praise God. By God's grace, I manage it. But literally I, 1 Timothy 6.12, I have to fight the good fight of faith. I have to lay hold on eternal life, to which I was also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I have to, 1 Peter 1.13, it gird up the loins of my mind. I have to be sober. I have to rest my hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because, thanks be to God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4. And, of course, I can't do it without Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And praise God, he always gets me through these times, and I always overcome. But it's not just because, there's a because there. Because I hold on to Jesus, and I trust him with all my heart, and I keep going, and I don't quit. No matter how hard it is, and God keeps me going, and gives me the strength I need, and his work keeps getting done, and his work keeps going on, because I don't quit. I refuse to quit, you see, because I am... Not ignorant of Satan's devices. Just like the title of our sermon. Beware, Christians, don't be ignorant of the devil's or Satan's devices. And as for the apostles, after Satan comes after them through the religious leaders in their second arrest and their second imprisonment, look how God responds and look how they respond. Look at verses 19 through 21. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. 
excuse me, 19 through 24, excuse me. Uh, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priests and those who were with them came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. They still thought they were there, right? But when the officers came, did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely. The guards are there and the doors are locked, but when we opened them, we found no one there, right? Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome will be. Well, the way that God, the Lord, defeated the devil here, God put confusion in the camp of the devil, right? He divinely moved and opened the prison doors with the guards standing right there, but they must not have seen the apostles leave, right? God maybe called a a deep sleep to come upon them, kind of like a little later when Peter goes to prison only, and he does the same thing, huh? And the soldiers of Christ go right back out into the battlefield. What'd they do? They didn't quit. God kept them going, and they kept going too. God kept the power going. God kept the ability going. God kept the, hey, you got to do this. This is my command to you. And what did they do? They went back out and they kept on going and they fought the good fight and they kept going on and uh, right in front of the religious leader's face, actually. Right in their face. Right in the devil's face. And he was powerless. But had the disciples quit and not gone on, well, God would have had to call somebody else because we do have our free will, right? Because they could have quit, but they decided not to. Just like I decide not to, every day I keep going, they kept going, God kept them going, and the religious leaders and all the devil himself didn't have any power because they kept going strong for the Lord. They overcame. The disciples or the apostles, uh, he delivered them again in spite of the religious leaders' a, a, a attempt to persecute them and attack them, and apostles didn't quit, and they marched on like good soldiers for God's kingdom. Now, they're not out of the fire, and they're not out of the frying pan, as the words we, you know, we, we say, from the frying pan into the fire. I just reversed it there. They're not out of the fire or the frying pan just yet, and we're going to see next week they still got a little ways to go, but we got to wait to the see their end of their finale. But the main thrust I want to just focus on now, I just want to talk to you a bit more about the most important point to this message so far as I've been alluding to, as the title alludes to, right? Beware, Christian. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. I, I spoke about many things today, but the main and most important emphasis was on how when God moves in mighty, supernatural, and powerful ways, so does that evil devil against those whom God is using. This is what this is what he does. The devil comes, he sees God moving. He's like, oh, I gotta go. I gotta pin my ears back and I gotta go. When God moves mighty or mightily in an individual's life or an individual's lives for his kingdom work on planet Earth, so does Satan against that group or individual person. And we see that fact throughout the entire New Testament. And we are still seeing it today in the world. Whenever God is moving, and I still see it in my life and, and have for a long time, whenever God moves in my life or in the world uh, for the lost or to edif- you know, for edification for his kids, the devil always comes and he counters. The devil always comes around with some kind of slam. Uh, for goodness sakes, just, just another couple things. And as I prayed about this, because there's several examples here from my life and what I'm going through, I kind of asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't want to ever make these sermons just about me. 
And the answer I got from the Lord was, my son, these things happen to you. And so many other people out there feel like they're so alone. Like, oh my gosh, all these things happen to me. And, and, and what do you, when you listen to a sermon, when you're listening to, to my word or the sermon, don't you have comfort in the fact that you're not alone? That now, oh wow, somebody else is going through the same thing as me. So please, I don't want you to think, I hate really to talk about me, but if something that happens to me applies to God's word, then I, I have to reference it because I just feel in the Lord that, hey, you're not alone. If you're going through the same thing, I, I'm going through it too. Okay, so just twice and over this last few days, uh, the devil has come at me hard. And again, I, I talk about how the devil comes against me. God moves in my life in a mighty way. Well, just uh, Thursday, right? Kingdom blessings were being poured out on my house uh, after we had our bi-monthly fellowship for the church. There was feasting and fellowship and Bible trivia and a couple awesome Christian videos that talked about some heroes of the faith. And what a sweet time. And yet right at the end of it, and right after it ended, that evil one moved in. He said, no, 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 I'm going to steal their joy. They're bringing edification to the, to the body. They're growing in me. They're, or they're growing in the, in the Lord. No, I got to stop that. So the Lord moved in my house or, toward, uh, or in an individual that, I, that lives with me that's, uh, that's sick right now. And, and I take care of my mother. And unfortunately, it was the worst night that I, we could remember in in just years and years and years and years and years as, as she just had a terrible night and was a, a, just acted in ways that were just amazing and, and up late and I, I lost my temper and it wasn't a good time and yet the devil won, unfortunately. And that was one time that Satan just thrust on this house and he just thrust in my family and, just, just, and I didn't handle it right, as I said again, but nevertheless, as I said, God moves, so does Satan. Right, God moves, and so does Satan. And ironically, number two, while I was working on this sermon, uh, uh, of all sermons, right, right, without subject matter that I'm talking about, last Friday night, just a couple days ago, the biggest night of the week, I might add, that I work on my Sunday sermon, a pretty uh, just one of the worst that I've seen in my house, almost ten years, over ten years, uh, the most terrible hailstorm came upon my house and in this area, and then my youngest son had just these wrenching pains in his stomach. We really thought he had, he was, his appendix kind of had burst. My wife was really thinking that. And it, just, it was just an amazing time of just nothing but chaos and pain and uh, hail crashing into my windows. And praise God, none of my windows are broken. And, and hail crashing down on my cars and, and shredding the leaves on the front of my, on the front of my trees uh, in the front of my house, right? Now, the first attack, I failed, and I didn't handle it, and I didn't handle the problem like I should have, and I had to repent big time. But for night number two, Friday night, that one was a little different. I didn't let the devil win that night. That night, I hit my knees. I prayed. I rebuked the storm. I rebuked the, my son's stomach problem, and things soon cooled off. Things didn't keep going on. Things soon cooled off. The hail ended quickly and my son's stomach got better shortly after and I kept my cool. And guess what? God's work was accomplished well and the sermon worked despite how the devil tried to come against me and my family just like we read of in Acts chapter 5 with the disciples. Praise God. And we kept going and the devil came against us but yet he lost. So Christians beware. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. 
You may be praying right now, God, use me in a mighty way for your kingdom. And maybe he sees that you're ready and he's going to. Well, my suggestion to you here, be ready. Expect backlash from that devil. You will face lions, bears, storms like you have never seen them before in your whole life, both in your spiritual and physical life as well as in your family's physical and spiritual lives. Uh, one Bible study night, one time years ago when I was in this other church, one girl stood up and it was kind of a time when they got together and it was one night where kind of like they let the Holy Spirit speak. They kind of all sat quiet, they played some worship music, and then, you know, people would stand up and say, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord's telling me. And it was, they call it afterglow. And some churches have that, we don't hear just yet. But, and then this one girl said something, that it always sticks with me. For the rest of my life, it'll be with me. And you have to know this, Christian. Christian, beware, right? The devil's devices. Here's what she said, and here's the truth of really all that I'm saying here. I could have really named the sermon this. You don't get curveballs sitting on the bench. Think of baseball. If you don't know anything about baseball, pitchers only throw curveballs to those people that are actually actively up there hitting the ball, trying to win the game, right? Curveballs don't come to the people that are sitting on the bench. Devil has no reason to attack people that are sitting on the bench. Devil has every reason to attack people that are standing up trying to hit the ball out of the park for God's kingdom. And she wasn't kidding. Now, Christians, the main idea of this sermon is really outside my normal. And really, because I don't normally, this is not something I normally teach on. God usually leads me in a completely different direction. I've already seen that way, but this cannot be an accident for this sermon. So I think that the main thrust of this sermon is for someone out there. I just sense it. Someone's out there and they're needing this word today. So I'm not sure who I'm speaking to out there today, but I know that I'm speaking to someone that's either wanting God to use them in a mighty way, and he's about to, and God's getting ready you know, to put you out there, and he wants you to you know, know what you're going to face. Uh, and if that's the case, and it's for you, get ready. For the devil's going to rise up, his ugly head, he's going to pin back his ears, and he's going to come after you. He's going to come after you, and he's going to attack you, and he's going to make you feel insane, and he's going to make you do this, and he's going to make you doubt, and he's going to make you, all these bad things are going to happen, and you're going to be tested, just be ready. Or maybe this sermon's for someone that God's been using in a mighty way already. And they need this message for such a time as this because they're filled with doubt. They're filled with anguish for the, anguish for the suffering that Satan's been putting them through, but they're not so sure it's Satan because they're really not even sure it's God and they're on his path. Right? They're not, why is all this happening to me? Why? Oh my gosh, I love God and I serve God and yet all these, oh my gosh, it's just like my whole world's falling apart. What's going on? Well, as I said today, soldier of Christ, when God uses you in a mighty way, the devil's going to pin back his ears, come after you in mighty ways also, and the more God uses you, the more devil's going to come after you. That's just the way it works. He will come after you, your family, your job, your pleasure times, your church experiences, everything, your worship times, everything. Sometimes you, you think you're going crazy, literally. Things are going through your mind. Oh my gosh, I don't want to think these things anymore. Why don't God get them out? But they don't go. Why? Oh, well, what's going on? Well, going through terrible problems and even issues like I've spoken in my life today, or maybe you're going through all that, or maybe worse. Well, the reason is you see, if you're really serving God, you see you're messing around with the devil's people somehow. 
And they're either being led out of his darkness or God's working on their hearts and they're going to be led out of his darkness or they already are being led out of his darkness. And you see, the devil doesn't like this, right? And he can't take God out. That's one thing about the devil. He can't go after God, right? Because God, he can't be tempted. And so the devil can't get at him, right? But, But the devil can get at him through us, but the devil can also, he can take us out. Because the devil knows something about humanity that many people don't even know about themselves. And you don't want to know what the devil knows about humanity? I'm going to share something with you today. Maybe you've never heard this before. He knows that when he puts pressure on people, it's true now, most, the majority, will quit. When the pressure comes, most, the majority, will quit it's kind of like that old saying when the tough get going or when when times get tough the tough get going well that's not the majority that's a saying to encourage people to keep going but the majority when pressure comes they just quit it's just as simple as that but christians although that's pretty bad news and as i told you i'm not a feel-good preacher on everything right the good news is that god is the victor and so can we be in jesus christ so can we be 1 Timothy 6.12, you need to fight the good fight of faith. You need to lay hold on the eternal life, which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And you have to, 1 Peter 1.13, you have to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? That means stop your mind from thinking those things. Stop it. Put an end to it. Just in your mind like a bulwark. Like like a like a like a barrier. Just no, you're not coming in here. Stop it. Stop making those things go through my mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. That means don't be thinking about all the things of the world and all that. Be sober. Rest your hope fully in the grace that's to be brought to you, right? Because remember, if you're really truly saved, truly, first John 4 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Philippians 4, 13, you can't do it without Christ. Christ, ha- you have to do all things through him. You can't do anything on your own. And if the devil's coming, you got to gird up the loins of your mind and just go in the strength of Christ and you got to keep going on. But old man or woman of God or soldier of Christ that's listening to me out there today that needed this message that God's using in mighty ways, don't give up serving God. Don't give up fighting through the devil's attacks. For the devil won't stop, but God's word for you today, because maybe you're asking God. I kind of almost had to write that. Because I've been there. God, please show me a sign. Show me that you want me to keep going. Show me, Lord, that, that this is still the path you want me to be on. Oh my gosh, I've prayed that. Well, maybe you're praying that prayer right now. Well, God's word for you is that although Satan won't stop, neither should you. So don't quit. Keep fighting for Christ and the loss of this world. Keep praying. Keep putting your trust in Christ and keep fighting and don't give up. That's God's word for you today. Don't quit. Don't give up. James 4, 7 through 8. Remember this one. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God will allow these things because the Bible says in Psalm that God does test the righteous and he does allow the righteous to be tested. So you will go through these things. 
but trust in God fully. Now, please understand, if you're going through terrible times in your life and the world is falling apart, this may not have anything to do now with the main point of this message. It may not. You know, you're, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, you just gave me an awesome word. Yes, I gave you an awesome word, but I, I, I couldn't end this message in any other way than this. God wants also people to know that if your life is falling apart, this may not have anything to do with fighting the good fight of faith or running the race for Christ because many in our world today, especially in America, think that they really love Jesus Christ and God Almighty and they think that they're really men and women of God, but they're not and they're deceived and really live and serve themselves and really they don't serve Jesus Christ at all. Uh, If your life is falling apart and you're going through terrible times, please examine yourselves to see if you're really of the faith. Does your life and lifestyles line up with what the, the Bible says that a child of God is supposed to look like, right? We read in Matthew 16, 20 through and 20, uh, 24 and 25, we read Jesus say this. This is what a Christian is supposed to look like. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means surrender. Deny self. Deny the lordship that you have over your life. That's what Jesus is saying there to us in that very first verse. Let him deny himself. Let him surrender unto me. Make me the Lord. Turn their heart over to me. Let me run their lives, and then they don't run their lives anymore at all. That's what a Christian should look like, first of all. Their life should be surrendered unto Jesus Christ. Then he says, Take up his cross. What is he talking about? Well, what do we what do we you know think of when we think of a cross and crucifixion? Well, we think of death to the flesh. So surrender unto Jesus Christ first, make him Lord, totally surrender to him. Then your life should look like, okay, I'm gonna put to death the deeds of the flesh. I'm gonna then work my life now at not sinning. I know we'll never ever ever stop sinning till the day we die, unfortunately. But we shouldn't be making excuses for it. Shall I sin so that the grace of God may abound? Certainly not. We should then start to put to death, say no to our flesh, right? And say, no, I'm not going to do that sinful thing. I love Jesus Christ now. I've chosen to follow Jesus. I'm not going to swear anymore. I'm not going to fornicate anymore. I'm not going to commit adultery anymore. I'm not going to be a homosexual anymore. I'm not going to be prideful anymore. We need to put to death then the deeds of the flesh. That's what Jesus said, number two. For whoever desires, well, it's finished. And then he goes on to say, and then they will follow me. Or they should follow me, right? What does that mean? Learn the ways of Jesus Christ and then follow what he said to do. Just as simple as that. So make him Lord, surrender, give him your heart. Two, put to death the deeds of your flesh, the sinful ways, and then find out how Jesus said to live and live those ways. Does your life look like that? For he goes on to say, so whoever desires to save his life, meaning his earthly life, is going to lose it, lose their eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find his life. Meaning whoever loses his earthly life in me, hey, guess what? You're going to find your eternal life. If your life does not match up to these ways, then this sermon, the main thrust of this sermon, is doesn't really concern you. You don't have to keep fighting the good fight of faith because you either never started or you fell away. So you are really in need of repentance and conversion or a, a, a return, as the prodigal son did, uh, to an, a new birth and to get on the path of salvation before you can even start to fight the good fight of faith or even fight Satan for another soul, God wants you to fight for your own soul. 
That's what God tells us today. So just be aware that if your life is falling apart, it, it may not exactly be because you're on the right path. It may be because you're not even a Christian at all, and God's trying to work in your life to bring you to Him and, and bring you to the end of yourselves so that you turn to Him, right? I mean, there, there, I have two different guys at work that I work with, and one swears like a sailor, and he's mean, and he's, he's uh, deceptive, and he's disrespectful, and, and uh, he, he's just a terrible, he just acts in such terrible ways. Yet the other day he called himself a man of God. Wow. Called himself a man of God. And then he said, and they said something about something. And I said, well, I'm sorry, sir. I don't lie because I love Jesus Christ. And he said, well, I love Jesus Christ. I, I love Jesus too. I said, well, sir, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because right. I said, if you really love the Jesus of the Bible, you're not going to lie. Uh, he wasn't exactly happy with me. And, but yet he thought, I'm, I'm a man of God. Yet his whole lifestyle completely goes against what the Bible says. Completely goes against holiness, love, respect of others, and full of hate and anger and, and, and bigotry. And, well, you name it. And yet, he, I'm a man of God. Well, he is a man of God because the devil calls himself a God. He's just a small G God. He is a man of that God, that false God, that little G God. He is, absolutely. But he's not a man of the God of the Bible. And I have another man that I work with who we were talking about my schedule at my job the other day. And I have a retail job. That's how God chooses to provide for me right now. Well, in this retail job that I've been at almost 11 years, God has kept me solely to do his work even there with a special schedule, even in retail. Nobody gets a special schedule hardly just doing a regular job on the floor, yet I don't work weekends and I don't work nights and I don't work early mornings and I have a set schedule and I have for the majority of the time I've been there. And another coworker of mine who again thinks he's a child of God, yet he's been working these crazy shifts and hours and they abuse him and they took him out of one department and put him somewhere else even though he didn't want to. It wasn't good for him and yet he he's like, well, boy, God sure does take a favor to you. And we didn't get a chance to talk to it because I've talked about him before, but I said, well, yeah, that's because I'm God's. You know, he takes care of those that are his. I mean, that's just what God does. And obviously this guy here, God's not taking care of him like he takes care of me because what? Well, he doesn't belong to God. But yet both of them think that they are children of God. And yet neither one of them lives a biblical life. Neither one of them lives a life that lines up with the Bible. They both swear and they both are dishonest and they're both just, you know, that, that's just sad what it is. People think that I'm a man of God, but they're not. Again, Jesus said, the biblical gospel, the way to receive the biblical gospel, Jesus said, those who desire to follow me must deny themselves, surrender, put to death their flesh, pick up their cross, and then follow me, follow the ways in which I live. And unless that's you, then you're not God's child. I'm just saying, if that's not you, then you are not a son, a spiritual son of the living God. So if your life is falling apart, but you don't really serve the God of the Bible, according to the words of this Bible, and your life doesn't line up with Matthew 16, 24, and 25, then you need to examine yourself and actually get on the path and work on your own soul to be redeemed versus, oh, this is all happening to me because God, because the devil, no, the devil's not going to, hey, you belong to the devil. When you belong to the devil, he wants to keep you happy. He wants to keep you happy, 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 right to hell. 
keep you satisfied with lots of things and keep you keep you in bondage and keep you his and keep and and and, and guess what? Right right into hell. That's what he wants. You don't want to have any schism in your life. Hey, nice and easy. Hey, nice and easy. Keep him right into hell. So examine yourself, please. Examine yourself, please. And if your life doesn't line up with the, what the Bible says a Christian is, please turn to Christ now. He loves you. He's waiting for you, but he's waiting for you to surrender. For you to turn to him and, and raise up your hands and say, I'm yours. That's it. I give it all to you. That's it. I'm done. It's yours. That's what he's waiting for. And then for you to get into his word and learn how he wants you to live when you become his. Praise God. If that's not you, get there now, please. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your grace, Lord God. For Lord, it is your grace, Lord God, that helps us get through every day. It is your grace, Lord God, that led me to write this sermon, Lord, to those Christian, one Christian, even if it's just for one Christian out there that's struggling, Lord, with the path that you put them on, Lord. Or, or maybe if it's just for the one, Lord, that maybe thought they were a Christian before today, but yet they found out today, well, my life doesn't resemble the Bible, so when they got the bad news that they're not saved, it is that your grace, Lord, that, that, that brings these things, Lord. It is your grace that gives us the strength to keep going. It is your grace that brings us these wonderful words sometime today or sometimes in any day whenever we don't even know when they're coming, Lord. We're seeking you, Lord, my, my, where you want me to be? And then boom, a sermon like this comes along. And then that's your grace, Lord God, that gives us that message that we can keep going on. And it is your grace, Lord, that gives us the message that we're not right in you. Lord, because we can't think that we have to come to you if we think that we're already with you. Lord, if we're deceiving ourselves and we think, well, I've already got this. If I think I already have a candy bar, then, but that there's none in my hand. Well, Lord, I'm not going to have to want to go buy another one because I think I got one. So, Lord, it is your grace that helps people to see that they're not standing right with you so that they need to do something to be right with you, Lord. That is your grace. And, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your mercy. Lord God, we just pray, Lord God, for those listening, Lord God. I just pray that this message will hit them smack in the eyes. And Lord, whatever their need is and that they would get wherever that you want them to be or get where you, ever, where you want them to go. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.